Hello and welcome to the next episode of Lost in Criterion. I'm John Patrick Hotari Dorgan. With me, as always, is a man who's loosely affiliated with a fish and chips restaurant. <laughs> I am the Adam Glass, and I enjoy uh, fish and chips and riding on my double-decker red bus to go promote a fish and chips restaurant that is named after me. But if you ask me directly, I will say, huh? I can't, I can't get, like, I can't, I, you can keep telling me that's true, and I believe you, but, like, I can't wrap my head around that response. That's the thing. Yeah. That's where I'm struggling is the, like, non-committal, like, I don't know, maybe I am. Yeah. Like, yeah. So, so, past introduction, I I normally don't want to do context for this, but it's so peripherally peripherary that I, I, I feel like, I feel a need to, um, there is one of the bonus features on the DVD is an earlier version uh, adaptation of the same novel uh, as the movie is based off of. Um, well, the mo- <laughs> our current movie is actually very much a remake of that first yeah, movie. Yeah, I mean... It, it much just, more than it is yeah. an adaptation of the novel. Uh, but, uh, but one of the characters in that 1935 version of the movie is played by Arthur Treacher, who had a career of playing uh, sardonic butlers, uh, namely, he was Jeeves in uh, early, very early Woodhouse stuff. Arthur Treacher's is also the name of a fried fish fast food chain in the U.S. Uh, but apparently, Arthur Treacher's is named for the actor Arthur Treacher. Uh, but if Arthur Treacher himself was asked if it was named for him, he would just sort of shrug <laughs> and not so answer the weird. question. I can't. <laughs> But he did eventually become their official spokesperson and would show up at live events at Arthur Treacher Fish and Chip Shops uh, in a double-decker bus to greet I, I people like it, was, like it was the Oscar Mayer Wienermobile, <laughs> except just British. Before we get into the movie this week, I do want to talk about our Patreon. It's patreon.com slash lostincriterion. Over there for a dollar a month, you get access to a bonus episode. You get to vote on what the bonus episode is going to be. You get access to the entire back catalog of bonus episodes. There's uh, over 45 of them right now. Uh, it's always a non-criterion film over there. And like I said, I put together a list and you get to vote on what it's going to be. Usually it's a theme list, though choice five is always... Uh, Kazam, the 1996 children's the most movie in which Shaquille O'Neal, yeah, it's it fits into all buckets. We've watched a lot of a uh, lot of fun stuff over there, a lot of interesting stuff. Uh, sometimes much more high-minded than others. Uh, for instance, we have watched Dog Day Afternoon and the Americanization of Emily and uh, Louis Malle's God's Country documentary on uh, Reagan era rural America, which is super fascinating. And we've also watched, uh, thematically similar to that, Ernest Goes to Camp. Yeah. Uh, and I'm actually legitimately bucket. serious yeah. when, I, when I say that. Uh, but also things like Ready Player One and Critters 2, uh, which is, I mean, the best Critters movie, but I mean, it, it's uh, it's creative. Uh, yeah. I, I give yeah. them high marks for creativity. 
Yeah. On the other but, hand, uh, Ready Player One does not get higher marks for creativity. <laughs> Ready Player One might be, in fact, less creative than Critters 2, uh, which is unfortunate. Uh, certainly, Ready Player One had a larger budget. Um, but yeah, we have a lot of fun. And if you want to you wanna get in on that fun, uh, you can go over there and just for a dollar a month, you support us, you get access to that. And if you want to suggest a list... Uh, and we use it, we'll probably invite you to be on that episode. Yeah, it's a good uh, chance. We have a lot of fun with guests over there who have suggested a list, and you know, it's usually a movie they enjoy, obviously. So we get to have uh, somebody who really loves the movie talk about the movie. Uh, and yeah, from that, we've watched uh, Now You See Me with our friend Stephen Goldmeyer, uh, longtime supporter and uh, friend of the show who was on a main episode just a couple weeks ago with Chunking Express. Uh, Jason Westhaver has been on a couple over there. Uh, that's all at the dollar mark uh, for a little extra five dollars, uh, just for people who who feel like they want to give us a little more money. Uh, we do like to thank those people on air. So thank you so much to the aforementioned Stephen Goldmeyer, who's our only five dollar supporter right now. Uh, he doesn't need to be giving us that money, but he is, and I appreciate him yeah, for we it. We appreciate it. Uh, one reason there's only a, uh, one five dollar supporter is. Because what we offer at the $10 and above mark is, I think, pretty pretty special. Pat makes a piece of art based on one of the movies we watched recently. I get that printed up on a postcard and write a little personalized thank you note to our $10 and above supporters. And we also like to thank them on air. So thank you so much to Jason Westhaber, to Michael McGrath, Chris Otto, Patrick Yako, and Adam Speakerman, our $10 and above thank supporters. Thank you very much. This moment. Uh, very, very much appreciate you guys. If you want to check out the sort of artwork that gets put on those postcards, you can head over to redbubble.com and search for Lost in Criterion, and you will find our store that has uh, most of the artwork. Uh, there was one that has uh, Toho, Toho Corporation has requested, has requested that we not sell it, uh, and we, uh, well, we, Redbubble, decided that <laughs> Toho's request yeah. will be honored. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and also, I don't put them up immediately. I put them up on a three-month delay so that our supporters can enjoy them first before the general public gets to see them. Uh, but as I said, patreon.com slash lostincriterion if you want to help us out there. This week, we're watching uh, a number of movies. Uh, <laughs> Magnificent Obsession is a 1954 film directed by Douglas Sirk, melodrama uh, starring Rock Hudson and Jane Wyman. Uh, Rock Hudson, Hudson and Douglas Sirk uh, work together frequently uh, through the 50s. Um, and we have seen a couple of Sirk films prior, uh, Written on the Wind and uh, All the Heavens Allow, we watched many, many years ago. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, he makes women's movies, uh, which was sort of a dying genre in the 50s. Uh, movies whose intended audience, their melodramas aimed at... Uh, you know, middle class housewives, um, which, you know, we talked with uh, with Adam Speakerman, another one of our supporters. Uh, he was on an episode about Ozu's uh, um, In Autumn Afternoon. Um, and we talked about how Ozu makes a similar genre of movie, right. you know, particularly aimed at. Uh, and both, you know, uh, <laughs> both are pretty transcendent of the genre, I think. Right. Um, uh, uh, but uh, Cirque is is particularly interesting in that regard. Um, there's a lot of good bonus features on on the Criterion release. One of them is the 1935 version 
that is adapted from the same uh, same novel. Uh, the Magnificent Obsession in 1935 is also very clearly what Cirque is remaking. He is not right, yeah, <laughs> readapting yeah. the novel himself. He is just remaking and eliminating some of the fluff and making it more Cirquean. Uh, yeah, I mean, his, this mo- uh, there are version. there are modifications of it, but yeah, it, at its core, right, it right. is the same movie. Uh, right, plot-wise, it is essentially the same movie. There's some stuff that's changed a little bit to modernize it, uh, but also uh, one big thing that's in the 1935 version that is not in the 1954 version: the comic relief character of Arthur Treacher uh, as the ballet. Uh, there's much, much less comedy in this movie. And also the female star of the, uh, of the 1935 one is really playing it slapstick. Whereas, uh, Wyman in the 54 version, much, much more leans into the melodrama of it. And in fact, it was Wyman who wanted this movie to happen. Oh, interesting. She, she had seen the 35 version and thought the female lead was played poorly for its, for the leaning in on that comedy, oh, I so see. she, she had she had ideas of, of how it would be done better, that she could do it better, and she got the production started. Um, Interesting. So Cirque had really Cirque had no connection to this at all. Oh, interesting. He, someone gave him the book. He hated the book. He'd watched the movie and it was fine, <laughs> but. Uh, yeah, I mean the movie is uh, is definitely just <laughs> fine. Right. 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 So, so yeah, he uh he decided to to take the job, but it was it was really, you know, like a lot of Hollywood career stuff, it was just it was the job offered. Right. And and what Cirque did with these movies is, you know, turn them into something almost delightfully weird. But still, you know, walking up to the line of delightfully weird, <laughs> where, yeah, where the yeah. melodrama is so absurd in some. Like I remember in written on the wind when there there's the opening. Uh, it opens with Robert Stack's character like having just committed suicide, which is the end of the narrative, and then we go back in time a few months to jump back to what led him to this. But that time passage is. Uh, wind blowing through a day calendar oh right right, right. yeah remember i remember now yeah the the, <laughs> yeah. the most melodramatic so just, thing you could ever do yeah <laughs> right right he really leans into it to an absurd degree uh and that's one reason people love cirque but there's an interview on this dvd as well that's an 82 minute career retrospective that cirque must have recorded right before he died it was released in 1991 but he died in 87 um that's just him talking about a lot, talking a lot about written on the wind more than, more than almost anything else. Um, but just the, the man who is presented in that documentary is almost at odds with the sort of movies he's producing. Yeah. It's a really, it is a weird dichotomy to watch actually. Yeah. Yeah. Cause he talks about how he was doing these, these looks portraits of middle-class America and, and he's, he literally says, and I was thinking about them in the context of Germany and how in my time in Germany, it was this middle-class, the same type of middle-class 
that was the fertile soil in which Hitler grew. Yeah, well, and specifically the dictatorship. Yeah, I, I even put a I put the quote on right. on Twitter because I I was just like, I I was we were I was watching that documentary. I'm like, wait, what? And now, like, like he yeah. says extremely insightful things, but you're kind of like, does that fit the movie that you're talking about? Like, and I yeah. guess kind of right because he's talking about written on the wind, and he's talking about like just like it it does make sense. It's just that like. You have to take, you have to start with the movie that he gave you, and then take twenty paces in a direction that you don't even know which direction he really wants you to take those paces in, to find out where he right. mentally is hanging out at <laughs> with regards to the movie right, you're watching. Right, right. Like, yeah, right. written on the wind, you can see, you can understand how those people in that movie are exactly where you get dictatorships from, where you get fascists from. Right. Right. But like, right. and he talk- the movie's not about that. Right. <laughs> no, it's not. And he talks about that movie being about you know the sort of uh, disconnected from humanity rich kids who are just depressed and suicidal, right? Because they've inherited their money and they have no real connection to reality. Uh, is sort of the the thing he's talking about, and it's that that sort of middle classness that that leads to latching on to any strong ideology. Right, I think is probably the argument he would make if he if he fleshed it out a little bit more. Um, which is a really interesting look when we start talking about Magnificent's obsession. I think, yeah, uh, because the way he plays this is, you know, just the the basic plot line of this movie. And it's a roller coaster of melodrama, certainly. Oh yeah, is you know, rich playboy whose father died young, um, at forty-two. Rich playboy, uh, his dad is dead at forty-two. To be clear on that sentence structure, um, so he's dropped out of med school and decided to just live his life, do nothing, party all the time. Uh, almost drowns and is saved because there's this resuscitation machine that is used to save him to reinflate his lungs and because it is used to save him it is not used to save a brain doctor uh who everybody loves right um, the most beloved and, doctor in the history of mankind yeah. <laughs> right 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 and then he uh accidentally uh harasses the doctor's widow into a car accident which somehow blinds her um well, I, and, and there, uh, and, you know, this is a very basic timeline because there's a whole bunch of other like various right, right, encounters right, right. between them before that. There's, you know, it's yeah, it's a whole where thing. he tries to escape the hospital and she picks him up, and uh, but he meets he meets an artist who is a friend of the doctor, and the doctor had introduced the artist to this philosophy to uh, plug you into the. Uh, Oh goodness! What's the exact wording? Like it's, power source of the universe, so, or something, or like I yeah, don't know. the ultimate power source of the universe. I think is what it is. Um, I mean, well, okay, like slow. okay, established it's, contact. Yeah, okay, established contact with the uh, with a source of infinite power. Which which uh, I admire the movie's willingness to talk about it like it's the fucking like tesseract or some shit like yes like it's yes, just real yes. the movie is just willing to just like for like about five minutes you be like is this going to turn into a science fiction film is that what's yeah going to happen here uh, it does not 
So Alas. you will be you'll be unsurprised to learn. I learned this from Jeffrey O'Brien's essay accompanying okay. the Criterion Collection. Um, the novel was written by a Congregationalist minister. I'm at shocked. the end of the twenties. I'm shocked. Yeah. Um, I'm I'm shocked that this this like pseudo Jesus is 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 religious yeah. in origin. Congregationalists, congregationalists, uh, and I'll, I'll paint with a very broad brush here. But congregationalists are mainline Christian Protestants. They are uh, in a group that is sort of the epitome of uh, of white liberal Christianity. Yeah, <laughs> of, I figured. Of yeah. Um, so it is not very surprising that the at the end of the excesses of the jazz age, a Congregationalist <laughs> puts out a book that is essentially, hey, wouldn't it be cool if you were just like nice to everybody? <laughs> yeah. Well, and and okay, I, we're gonna get there eventually. But like, I, I it it is. Imagine you took the golden rule, and then made it yeah. about yourself. Right, right, right. It's so, wild. So what it is, it is, it is. You know, it, it draws something that I believe is integral to Christianity of of uh, radical charity, um, but it it morphs that radical charity into an individual altruism uh, that you are giving away all these things specifically because it will bring you personal inspiration. Well, and it's and it's uh, and, and it's even magnified right in the movie because it's like the movie because it's a movie especially needs the payoff the sort of like it's it's like it's it's like you took it's like you took the golden rule and said well you know what this is kind of like this is like my really bad understanding of karma that right. is informed exclusively from pop culture things i read and now i'm gonna say like so like you do a good thing and then within seconds there's a turnaround where like the universe right, rewards right, you right, for right. your good your good deeds and then and right. then to compound it there's some sort of like you have some sort of like I'm a like goodwill battery that you can burn through and like well I already yeah. like a common phrase in both versions of the movie are like oh I've already, it's already used been it all used up. Up. it's already been used up and I'm like right right you do know that right. like kindness does not right. function in this capacity it's right it's not just fine movie? and it's it's I've already used it up is the phrase used when someone tries to repay you right like you're you're doing this specifically uh to not be repaid which is great but it also morphs an idea of forgiving of debts into a individualistic uh refusal of uh of repayment is is a different thing than just right it, it's a different it, it is a different like it, it by by adding that thing about the using it up makes it so much worse because you get into this world where you're like, oh, like I burned through that karma. Like you can't pay me back yeah. because like you already, I already, I already like, I already ate the banana you gave me for my money kind of thing. It's a very like, I can't, you yeah. can, it's, it is <laughs> deeply upsetting, right. Adam. It's, it's, it's not great. It Here's, there's an interesting through line, I think. You know, obviously, a lot of modern Christianity has has issues around these ideas, um, and you know the the movies the movies really remove a, do a weird thing with the explicit Christianity of the book. 
uh-huh. in that you know the book still the book still positions it as uh, some sort of nineteen uh, twenty psycho babble too, right? Right. Uh, uh, the uh, the author of the book describes the New Testament as the actual textbook of a science relating to the expansion and development of the human personality. What? Um, yeah, it's bad. Uh, but but like the movies sort of back off from the explicit religiosity oh, okay. of it in ways, right? I mean, Obviously, I know they still mean, make though, the right? overt reference. In both of them, they still make the overt reference to well, the guy who came up with this was found it right. so difficult they he do was put to the cross Christmas at 33 stuff, right it's basically <laughs> right, just right, shitty right. like lifetime christmas movie stuff where they're yeah. like right you know who to thank the big guy or but it's, <laughs> but it's essentially like you know it's it's the the sort of pay it forward ideology there was that kevin spacey movie yes i I, I was going to make a reference 2000s. in the intro to, yeah. to pay it forward but yeah. i saw half of pay it forward <laughs> one time because Nothing. of a substitute teacher, I was not confident right. to do that. <laughs> That's why. Uh, and then, uh, you know, it's also, I don't even know that it would be based off of, but it also is in line with, uh, there's an 1896 novel called In His Steps, uh-huh. um, which is where the phrase, what would Jesus do, originated. And obviously that had a big resurgence in the 90s if you were a uh, an American Christian. Yeah, if you liked, or, uh, or a, if you liked, uh, like, what's his name, Armstrong bracelets, you were, yeah, you were definitely yeah, aware. WWJD of the, bracelet. Yeah, you were big, um, very aware of yeah. that. Yeah. Now, now again, that was that was a an ideology of interaction with other people of uh, determining what would Jesus do. Now, the interesting thing about in his steps was it was written by a socialist, and and his idea of. Asking what would Jesus do was radical societal change. Right. What would Jesus um, do? Burn down lending houses, probably. <laughs> I don't know. Yep. Whereas you know, whereas obviously that that message has been completely neutered out of in his steps and the what would Jesus do stuff, and its neutering starts with not it 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 certainly has been done now by evangelicals, but it it starts with. Uh, with magnificent obsession too, right? You know, I'm not saying it's the earliest example of that neutering. I'm uh, sure it's not. I'm sure. I am sure. Right out of the gate, that message was neutered completely, like uh, like a lot of great socialist novels of the time period. Right. Uh, uh, but uh, uh, I'm I'm sure it got the jungle not treatment. To, not to say that in his steps. Not to say that in his steps was on par with the jungle. But. Right. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah. Anyway, so it's just. <laughs> You know, the ideology is uh, be secretly nice to people so that you will get some sort of personal reward, uh, internal, spiritual, mental, uh, psychological reward. Yes, but still a personal reward. Well, but it's but that's the thing, right? Is the problem is is it's not a purely internal psychological reward. That what's that's what makes it even worse. Like, well, what I'm saying though is, I think it's. Go ahead. Yes and no, because obviously in the scene that leads to her being blinded, uh, Bob believes it is a physical manifestation reward that she has shown back up in his life because he has done this good thing. Um, I think I, mean, I think the rest wrong, of the movie... Like, <laughs> right, right, he's wrong. The, and the rest of the movie wants us to know he's wrong, in both versions. Right. But then ultimately, 
ultimately it swings back around because they do fall in love and he does save her life and that's and what like, i'm saying is the movie wants right. you to believe that's all like, it just plays the movie wants right, to have it just it plays ways. a longer game right right and and, and and that's from the book right? right the book the book is that long game except they don't i don't think they fall in love in the book if I if what I was reading it was correct, it is a better movie the if book, they do not fall in love. Let's be very clear: right. is it a better yeah. story fundamentally if they do not fall right. in love? As far as I know, what is drawn from the book in both of these iterations is the book opens with the millionaire uh, millionaire playboy saved at the expense of the doctor's life, and ends with him being a brain doctor after being inspired right. by uh, those events. And saving the life of the doctor's widow. Right. There, I do not know if the rest of the book at all deals with the widow being young. The, uh, I don't believe there's any love story even after he saves her. I think it's just the, the dramatic irony of him being inspired by her husband's death to... Uh, better himself and ultimately, you know, save her life. Right. And and so, like, uh, the movie is, the problem is the movie is not, like, I don't know what the book is like. I, in the end, again, obviously. if there's, in the end, though, at least as far as the movie is concerned, which is all we really have to work off of, both movies, in the end, all the generosity that is done by the character, the main character of the movie is fundamentally selfish in nature. Right. Like, right. later on, in both versions of the movie, we get some form of, well, I was, I did this all in the hopes that it might, like, reach you. Like, you know what I mean? Like, as we get it more explicitly right. in the older version of the movie, but where it basically comes down to, like, well, if I just kind of, like, pour money into helping, well, number one, this character wants to be redeemed. His ultimate me- like right. purpose of doing this is to redeem himself. Uh, as a, right. it's not even like an act of contrition. It is an act of like, it is different than that because it's not the broad sort of like I will just right. help society because I feel bad about who I am or have been. It is I will help you because I feel bad about I don't like the way it what makes I've me done feel to you. have done to you. <laughs> um, right, right, and and that's actually an interesting thing. Uh, in in Wayne Phillips and Hudson, respectively, to the movies Phillips in in the Cirque version, uh, the Brain Doctor uh, is not, from what we know of him, is not trying to redeem himself from anything. Which is why Cirque has every time he's talked about a choral singing in the background, <laughs> angelically. Uh, Right. Whenever, whenever the philosophy or Wayne himself sort of comes up in conversation, um, uh, where he really is Jesus in this narrative, right? Um, right? Because he's not. He did it actually selflessly, and then I guess that makes the artist Saint Paul and uh, <laughs> we do not need to figure this out. Religion Adam. out of this. We do not and we'll need go to figure this out. Line. No. We don't. We don't. Um, but but yeah, you're you're right to say Bob only acts selfishly throughout the entire thing, right? He has he has a very particular goal in mind, and is for self redemption. Um, that's not to say he doesn't do some amount of good, but 
ultimately, well, right. you know, this is this is a movie that if we look if we if we take a step back and I think Cirque certainly wants us to take a step back. Uh not even even before we watch that interview with Cirque, I would say that Cirque wants us to take a step back. Right. If we take that step back, this is also a movie about the failures of uh of uh philanthropy as right that's an definitely a fix thing you get to problems right uh you know because even even the brain doctor is not actually fixing anyone's station in life he is just giving them the money to overcome this uh this problem right he is not right he is not actively trying to make a system where these problems don't exist he's giving the money for right individuals and- he encounters to overcome these problems and he's giving away a lot of money the brain doctor right. is you know he's <laughs> he gives away everything of, except for his house essentially right he gives away enough money that is a de- detriment to himself and his family right um so you know as long <laughs> yeah there's no there's no modern day philanthropist doing that so I guess no, there's and, that. and and that's the thing, but right? That's, and that's that's the myth of philanthropy, though, right? right that's that the myth of philanthropy as opposed to how right. it's actually practiced, right. right? That's what we're supposed to believe about philanthropists, but it's not right. And yeah. and that's <laughs> the interesting thing about like I, I'm fascinated by the sort of conceptualization of philanthropy and stuff in both in both versions of the movie, it is a hyper selfish act, one way or the other, right? But the interesting thing that defines the difference between them, and I think where Cirque's hand comes into play, is the 1935 version, while our our main character, our Bob character, is not giving it all away. Like, he's not living the life that the brain doctor was. He is doing right. broad, he is doing broad stroke things. He, like, sets up, he's like, oh, you set up countless uh, clinics, like free clinics all over Europe to like treat people with, uh, like neural, uh, like, you know, um, I, yeah. like, yeah, is, is what he's credited for doing. And he won the Nobel Peace Prize. It's fucking ridiculous. So <laughs> right. his, really his selfish enough. act, at least, is having a broad spectrum effect on, at least within, right. within a limited, sc- like, scope on society. Free clinics, as a general rule, will help society, period. In the Cirque version, we're not even getting that. Bob is essentially right. only dumping money into the person he wronged. Right. In in theoretically wronged. Uh, and that's it. He's not doing anything to help broader society. He has a specific goal in mind, and he is exclusively dumping money into that specific goal. It is very you much know, a different kind of thing. There's a thing Cirque does that I really love. In his in his version of this movie, Please, yeah, tell me, I'm... is that even even the relationship with the little girl mm-hmm. that you know uh, uh, Wyman's character goes to Europe and promises to write both of them and all of her all of her letters to Rob or or uh, you know say hello to Judy or whatever her name is, but we never see Rob and Judy actually interacting again after he's used her. Right? No, to get yeah, close. He's just, she's just a tool. Uh, yeah. Absolutely, a hundred percent, and like. It it and I I'm fascinated. I'm actually really like Cirque's version has a lot. Like watching the other version is very uh, informative because you can pick yeah. out those differences in what like Rob doesn't become a famous brain surgeon. Rob becomes just a a doctor 
who's really not right, even right, like, right. and so it's some sort of weird karmic miracle that he saves her life because he's like I'm not ready for this I don't right. know what the fuck I'm doing and then like the hand of God guides him or whatever it's fucking ridiculous right, and it's right, read right. it reads in the movie as ridiculous it's just right, it, right. It, it's probably one of the points in the movie where we get the closest to actual absurdity like true right. absurdity in the movie because like well, we like look up okay. the what first off. <laughs> The sequence of the escalating sequence of her accident. Of, uh, no, of the I, way know, I know. I mean, there's, there's are absurd. What, what but, I mean, yes. I agree. But what I mean is, is that like we get the closest to Cirque literally telling, like, literally like doing the Calvin peeing on a thing. Thing. I don't know. Like, like level of like, what the fuck is that? Because he looks up at the window and the artist is up there, and it's yeah. and the music plays yeah. again, and you're like, yeah. And and it's like it's it is it is actually ridiculous. Like to yeah. a, it, and I the, feel like it hits the, a different level. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, it's at least there, and I'm not sure about the other side. I didn't go back to check, and I didn't I didn't mentally work out. But but at least there, the choral arrangement is joyful, joyful. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it it's it just, is it's, it is so much like it, it it's like kind of like pseudo philanthropy like christianity yeah. overtones hit their their maximum their pot their maximal point right, at right, that right. at that moment in the movie and it's like oh this f- kindly painter who you ran into who gave you this philosophy that changed your life is over is watching over you and will guide you through this right, like it's right. ridiculous it's amazing be, be- because this facility that is not even set up to do surgery for some reason has, has a doctors. surgery theater. Yeah, has with a, a surgery with theater. A, with it's a, all amazing. It's the whole that yeah. whole entire chain of events is just and it's ridiculous. Just, it is it is really ratcheted up though, right? Rock Hudson preps for surgery without a shirt. Yeah, like why is it even happening? <laughs> and it's happening. It's happening because Rock Hudson is. Rock Hudson, right. and we've got a we've got a Oogle Rock Hudson for a second, and like like in uh, in Cirque's version, Judy, the little girl, is like a Mae West. I <laughs> style. I, I like. was so upset. The amount, <laughs> like the levels to which they like they took some sort of like very like brash. 35 year old character and turned her into a 13 year old is in is intense man it is like she's making like crude sex jokes sometimes and like when she puts the boat into the water when she puts the boat in the water she says i always say it's a real problem being a girl with no figure and no muscles either i know that's the part that's what specifically what i'm talking (laughs) about right i'm like what is happening here um (laughs) Other notes that I it, it is it is very odd to me. I'm gonna this is a, a total derailment from what we've been talking about. But a thing that I noticed about is I was really upset by a couple not upset in like an angry way, but like kind of bothered by a couple changes in Cirque's version where we actually seem to appear to watch society move backwards instead of forwards. Like uh <laughs> like somehow watching society regress. In the 1935 version, uh, our, I don't remember the name of any of the characters, so you got to forgive me. I, I forget the name of the the white the of the the lead actress. Helen. Like, Helen. Yeah, thank you. She's Helen learning braille the in the in the 1935 version. She is learning to be yes. an independent 
functional human right. being with in the situation she is, finds herself in. She's learning Braille. She's learning how to like navigate and walk again. Very like I mean, she's she constantly tests the waters and is like going further without help, and, and a lot of really interesting things. And then we get to the 1935 ver- or the 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 version, and you get we get none of that. It's all right. like, well, I've got well, all we these do. people who can wait on me hand and foot, so I just don't have to like adjust to my new life. She does all. exercise her independence in uh, in walking down the path to the beach. Right, right. Is when we first but I'm, I'm just like she's got this little girl reading to her. She's not like yeah. She's not learning to to like right, live right. in this new life. With, she's just yeah. letting people deal with it for in her. the thirty. In the 35 version, it was even that was a mutual thing, right? Right. She's the little girl's reading to her, but then she's reading to the little girl as she practices her braille, right? right? Um, yeah, no, you're absolutely right. It's very, it's, it, it's a, just a strange choice that I don't, I don't yeah. really grasp why, except for I think I do understand why. And, and it, I think in many ways, when you get to the one, the cert version, as a part of the time period that it takes place in, there is this sort of conception. Like, take the, the 1935 version. She talks about how it would be embarrassing to read Mother Goose in front of other adults. Mm-hmm. If you take that concept and continue to spiral that, that like, I don't think Cirque's doing, but I'm talking about a society in general. This sort of, like... Yeah spiral that further and further out of control you end up in 20 30 years later saying like oh i can't do this because i'm an adult i shouldn't have to learn to read again like i don't it is right it is right. uncouth for me to learn to read again like and you get that kind of impression because she's too much of a lady like too too genteel like uh what's the word i'm looking at? is genteel the word i'm looking for the like sort of like high class to like engage with this sort of child behavior yeah it's yeah. a i don't think genteel is the right word there but i don't know yeah, what I the word what you know saying. what i like you know like i'm trying yeah. to think of, i don't know what the, the term is I, i'm trying to think about what it's called but like there's this sort of like i'm i'm too i can't do this because like that's not a thing a person of my station should be doing kind of thing yeah it, it's like be uncouth yeah exactly uh, for her to do it yeah um yeah, it's a bit it's, of a derailment from the general moral messages of the movie, but I was just sort of struck it, struck by it because it's like, it, and then and the movie is, it, the the night and so it really produces this weird effect because the nineteen thirty five version, she has some she has a breakdown and she disappears, but like, in many ways, despite that, it is the story of her. In many ways, it is still a story about her and her trying to grow and deal with well, her life whereas the the certain version doesn't really have that per se another another aspect of the 35 version is that she disappears alone in Cirque's version yes. she disappears with her nurse right right it, it well because Cirque doesn't do the footwork to say oh there's a world where she could disappear and still survive right like right, right. The, the the woman that is on that beach in the Cirque version cannot survive in a society without somebody helping her it's impossible right we have no evidence right. that she's gained any skills whatsoever that would allow her to survive 
and again, you know, watching this without, you know, the having watched the the Cirque interview, maybe I wouldn't have read this, but I I think that is Cirque commenting on uh, the type of people this class is in yeah, America. Yeah, right? I think so. And it's certainly it's certainly a type of person that he's been thrown in with when he's moved to America because it's it's the Hollywood liberal too, right? Right, right. That whole feature is really fascinating, especially the way it ends with like 10 minutes of driving around <laughs> it's LA. so fascinating. I know that with this yeah. like slight, I, I described it to you as slightly less melodic uh, John Carpenter synth music. It's just like, yeah, burr, yeah it's, burr. it's abrasive, syncopated, uh, it's very yeah. It's it's a wild ride. Yeah, I really, yeah. I I. It, but then you like, and you think about it, like it's thematically doesn't match the interview at all. But like in the sense that like the interview is just, you know, is just Cirque having coffee with a person like who's the, only subtitle cards. Um, and then you're like, yeah, but, but then the, you watch it, and you're like, this itself, is okay. This works. It works there, but the interview itself is weird because those. The, the title cards that pop up to sort of establish what what Cirque is talking about at any given yeah. time, repeat. Yeah. Like four in a row are, are Hollywood culture or something, it says. Yeah, yeah. There's, uh, yeah, like there's like, there's a bunch of repeats, actually. Uh, and some of them are numbered and some of the repeats are not numbered. It'll be like style right, one, right, right. style two, style, like Cirque <laughs> yeah. style. And then a few of it, one of them was, yeah, there's like three in a row that are named like USA Film Culture. Just and they're not yeah. numbered. It's like, right? What you right. what I'm getting the impression of from it because and some of them are are actual questions, uh, like just German questions and like, what's really fast and but then like you listen and it's like, they're not they're clearly not the question that the interviewer asked because his answers are not like. It, it would be like if I if I asked you like you know do you like do you like chicken? And then you started to tell me about this beef farm, you, like this cow farm you used to work at or something. <laughs> right, you know right, what I mean? Like, right, right, well, it's, right, right. It, it is in the same ballpark, but it's clearly not the answer to the question I asked you. Uh, and, and they're all like that. It'll be like, well, wh-, and so, and a lot of them aren't questions. And then a lot of them, you know, half of them are questions and half of them aren't questions. Some of them are just title cards. And then some of them are actual, like, you know, what did you think about blah blah blah? And it's like I don't understand what this interview is uh, at all. Um, it I mean, except for very good, like a very right, good, right, right, right. It, like I I learned more about Cirque in that eighty-two minutes than I could ever learn from like any any other source. Like it it was a fascinating <laughs> right. watch. It was right. enough to it's pull really- me in. Yeah, it's interesting to me that you know we've watched two other Cirque films, and uh, I don't remember the bonus features on those other Cirque films. I mean, off, uh, they were like I think Spine ninety five was right. uh, was written on the wind, or, or or maybe it was the other one. But I, I think they were back to back too. But in any case, it was you know seven years ago. Um, it's it's interesting that this is our last Cirque film, and this is the point where they give us Cirque doing a career retrospective where he principally talks about one of the other movies. Um, right. But, uh, but yeah, it's, it was really, it was really fascinating to get that information from him and use that as an interpretive lens for watching the movie. Certainly. Yeah. Um, 
maybe more fascinating if we had gotten that interpretive lens when we watched Written on the Wind. Well, but, and, and it's hard um, to say. I mean, it does definitely apply mostly to Written on the Wind. But at the same time, I'm kind of torn because I like having it here because this movie is, is I would argue, more, and he talks about this, about this is more in sort of an American style in the sense that, like, the 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 this movie is fundamentally follows the sort of plot line that American movies like to have. Like he gets the girl yeah. at the end and, and everything works out right, all hunky right, dory. Right, right. And so in that way, like written on the wind is a bit of an oddball in that it doesn't exactly follow the standard American movie narrative structure. It seems to break rules. Whereas this one fully fits into the rules. Right. Right. This uh, one definitely. It it pushes those rules in absurd ways. Right, sometimes. absolutely. Uh, yeah, another but, absurdity we haven't we haven't touched on when they're on the beach and she asks she asks Bob what his name is and he's trying to come up with the fake name. Yeah. he's like, oh, I'm Rob uh, Robinson. Um, yeah, and it's it's yeah. There's a lot of like um, dumb, good dumb stuff like yeah. that. And it, yeah. yeah, the 1935 one does not does not his. Fake name is still Robbie Robinson, but is not it does not lean on that uh, that bad improv right, interpretation right, right. of where the name came from. Uh, but yeah, it's. <laughs> Can I say one of the things f- that? Oh, go ahead. I I was just gonna. No, please go ahead. What I was what I'm struck by in this movie, uh, in this in the in the later version, the Cirque version, rather than the the 1935 version, is the thing that happens. Well, okay. The way her accident happens, there's a facet. There are some fascinating shifts between the first one and the second one, or between the two. In the first one, in the 1931, 35th, 30, 1935 one. Boy, I had some trouble go. with that. Uh, he basically tries to do the like, I don't know what it's called. It's, there's a term for it, and I can't remember. But like the like, oh, we're out of gas, like right, right, like right. the like. Oh, I don't know. I, there's a term for it, and I can't remember what it is. But like, it's essentially like a prelude to date rape, if we're going to be honest. Right. Uh, and she right. bails out and gets hit by a car traveling far too fast, and it causes some sort of brain damage around right? the blind corner. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And but then in the in the nineteen uh, what year did the the one we're watching come out? I keep fifty four. Nineteen fifty four version. Fifty four. Um, yeah. It it's it's less that way, which is good. We get away from that like weird like oh no I've run out of gas, and it's so cold right. outside kind of vibe into like he's just chasing her and she just wants you know he's trying to talk to her and she wants to get away, um, but in both versions we have a person driving ridiculous speeds on this road right, <laughs> right the nineteen thirty five version and then, go ahead. Oh. Yeah, in Cirque's version, it's also an urban street. Right, right. right. Okay, you know, so that's what like makes it town. so amazing, is that in the 1935 yeah. version, it's just like a country road. We're out in the middle of nowhere. You can kind of buy it, and it's also 1935, so you can really buy somebody's just like gun it down this road. There are no, there are no traffic yeah. laws. I do what I want out here. The 1954 version, we see that street actively functioning in other scenes moments prior, and everybody's right. driving it like, 15, right. 15 miles an hour. Right. It's an urban, it's a tight, narrow, Completely it's like a reasonable. narrow urban yeah. street with street parking. Everybody's like trucking along at like maybe, like Rock yeah. Hudson's character is the fastest driving person on that road and he's still only doing like 35. 
when he parks. Right, right. He looks like a maniac, and he's doing like 35. And this this car has to be going at like 80 down this road. It is the most absurd thing. And it's like you get into this point where like one of the things the movie doesn't deal with in either capacity is it, either version doesn't deal with this is that like in in the 1935 version, there's definitely a world where you can conceive of what happens to her being his fault. It, it is right. it is his fault. Like he pushes, he does a thing that is intentionally like very aggressive. It's it's wrong. It's it's the one the well, Cirque version in Cirque's version. He's still aggressively he trying is. to get her to come to dinner with him. Right, that's true. I kind of like blocked climbed that out into her bit. taxi. Yes, yeah, yeah, he's yeah. climbed into her taxi. That's and then true. She gets that's out true. The other side. I forgot and, that yeah. he was trying no, to get her to go to dinner. Like I I had forgotten that that's yeah. what he's doing. So it is still that way, for sure. But we also like somehow have removed the culpability of the man driving eighty miles an hour down a a, a crowded right. uh, <laughs> crowded yeah. street, which is a weird. At least in the thirty five version, presumably the driver is the guy who stops and comes back around right, and exactly. says, "Hey, is she all right?" and rides the right. rides the outside of the car while they go to the hospital. Um, another thing I like a little bit better in the thirty five version, but I think also Dirk or Dirk. I think Cirk stripping it out is maybe maybe a social commentary is uh when uh when bob is in the hospital mm. and everyone's being really passive aggressive mean to him right he actually he calls out uh the one nurse for it the nurse right. who's like the the main character you know the periphery but the um what's her name nancy i think ashford um at least in uh I think it's Nancy in both of them. I don't think that name changes. I don't think. I think uh, it's Nancy. Yes, I think it's Nancy Ashford in both of them. Anyway, oh, okay. um, well, I don't know. But uh, in the '54 version, she's she's played by Agnes Moorhead, who was apparently at the New York premiere of the movie. But Agnes Moorhead, uh, I think we've seen a couple of times in other Criterion stuff. But she's also uh, um, Tabitha's mom in Bewitched. Okay, it's, it's probably the main role you you might know her from aside from aside from having just seen her. Um, but uh, but in the 35 version, uh, Nancy's again being mean to him. <laughs> and uh, and Bob says, uh, he lays it out. He says, he says, listen, I feel bad about it, okay? But what right do you have to say who deserves to live and who deserves right. and, to die? And that's a, that's a fundamental problem that Cirque clearly identifies in the movie. <laughs> like, that's, it's like, right. And it's the only thing I could think about for most of the first half of the movie is like, <laughs> yes, he has every right to feel bad. You have a, as, as the, as the family of the person that died, you have every right to feel hurt and sad. But the reality of the matter right. is, is that neither of these two lives are of more value than the other in the grand sort of scheme of the universe. Like it, one of them is still a dead, right. one is a dead person and one is not like, you know, they, they make a lot of judgment calls in the movie about like, Oh, this person's life is worthless. And this person's right. life was valuable is a really like, Whoa. Okay. Yeah. Movie. And hold on. Right. Right. And, and the 35 version, Bob himself calls out, the nurse on that and she apologizes and that changes their relationship moving forward. Whereas, you know, in Cirque's version, Bob, no one ever thinks to call it out. And I think that where I think it's a commentary is that, you know, it's so, <laughs> he just leaves it. Right. Right. He leaves, he leaves the audience, you know, so much of, of what Cirque might be trying to do here 
in in as much as if it isn't it's it's class commentary in the margins right, right. what what the notes he doesn't play i guess right. it's very jazz um uh but uh you know no one ever calls it out so we're just we're just set and that's another thing about bob particularly in the Cirque movie uh because you know bob in bob in the original is uh it's his grandfather's money and his grandfather's still alive and there's no mention of the dad but he's just living bob in the Cirque's version his dad died young mm-hmm. he had a trauma response to that right that sent him into and like like most of bob's story arc is unresolved trauma. Right, right, absolutely, yeah. Like, Bob Bob is a uh, <laughs> is a person desperately in need of help. Uh, to, like, right. He's, like, driving boats at 180 miles an hour out in the middle of, like, choppy water. Right. Basically like, because he has a suicidal. death wish. Yeah, I mean, right? Bob has right? a death wish. And, like, Bob needs help. Bob's not going to get help. And, and like, no one offers Bob help. Right, except no. Except for the artist. Who doesn't even offer actual some sort of psychological help here, but gives him a worldview? Yeah, some sort of where, moral philosophy to operate like, on. Yeah, yeah, where, where you know, and the the, the ramifications of, of Christian counseling versus actual therapy are right. <laughs> are evident throughout uh, the life I grew up in, at least. Right, right, but, right. Uh, uh, but yeah, it's just it's you know it's I. I feel like Cirque is, he's not overtly calling any of the stuff out because he's still making a movie for middle-class housewives. Right, right. but that's the thing is like, you're right, but at the same time, by telling us this about Bob, what we do is is that even for the, regardless of the group that this is intended for, we, we make Bob just a slightly more sympathetic character. Bob is right. not just a millionaire playboy who like, kills people by his negligence bob is like the audience recognizes that bob is a is a is a person who is broken and and, yeah. and needs yeah. help like the movie right. does not offer him help uh i don't know if the audience recognizes that part but we're given a point where we can have some sympathy for bob which it, it's kind of interesting because it's like i don't know if that in some ways i don't know if that helps right. or hurts and the, the point of the movie and but. the pure exit and this is true in both of them, but the pure ecstasy Bob exhibits when he does his first good deed and immediately sees Helen, right, is 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 psychopathic. Yeah, it absolutely. Is. <laughs> it's. I think the Cirque right. version is better, uh, just because, yeah. like, I don't know. I think that in general the acting delivers better there, but like, yeah, it is. Well, the Cirque version is also more interesting in that in the thirty-five version, it's just some random street bum. Yeah. And in the yeah. Cirque version, it's someone he already has a relationship with. Like right, it's right. the the maitre d' or whatever at the restaurant. Uh, so it's somebody he knows by name and somebody he, he interacts with presumably on a fairly regular basis. Enough that they know um, like on a first name basis. Like he – like right. uh, Bob's character knows his first name like right. without prompting. Like you know what I mean? He's not – he right. just calls him by his first name, which is a fascinating – change to that diet that uh that relationship right that um, relationship but it's also it also uh brings into an interesting question of uh you know so much so much of that liberal philanthropy is just aimed at still within your your circles well absolutely right? 
It's still, I was going to bring that up. It's to that, help the people you can see. It's to help the people you can see whose first name you already know. Right. Not to, not to help the unseen or the, uh, or to, to fix the system in a way that would require you to give up some amount of power. Right. right? Well, I think, and uh, I think that's, I think that is important. I yeah. think that is, uh, I think there's a reason why Cirque makes that change, which is like to double down on this idea that, that, that Bob never leaves his sphere of influence. Like he only his philanthropy right. exclusively extends to his own sort of selfish sphere, right? Where it's like, oh, I'm right. going to help this person I already know. And there's there's a sort of like obvious knock on effect of like, oh, the major d at the restaurant I frequent. Now he can afford to take care of his you know wife, and so like he's you know right. whether you like it or not, there's at least this sort of subconscious. It, we have to imagine there's a subconscious element to that of like, well, I've now done a favor for a person who can very easily turn around and essentially do a favor for me. Right. Uh, but, but because they have that relationship, there's also an implicit uh, background that rock, uh, that, that Bob's been given this information before. Like these yeah, are ongoing yeah. medical problems. Right. And he has, he has ignored it, chosen, <laughs> chosen not to help out of, you know, he'd claim ignorance, no doubt, but but also no doubt it has come up before, and he right, just right. didn't didn't have the mental process to right, uh, yeah, to extend the grace there. So yeah, it's yeah, <laughs> philanthropy is not great uh, because there are we need sus- well, we've had like changes. more specific. Right. We've had episodes of this podcast that were explicitly about that topic. <laughs> Certainly, I forget the name of that movie, certainly. but there was a movie where that's all we talked about the entire time. Uh, well, I think it there was. Uh, I don't know. Was it, it was the? It wasn't the Milky Way. There was. Uh, there was another. Uh, oh goodness, Ed. it's a. Uh, what was it? I can't I remember. It I remember, quickly, like, sorry. I remember I there put, was a I dog a on the on road, it. and we like. Yes. We we're talk- thinking about the same movie. Yeah, there, we are. I, um, I just can't remember. But it's it's Viridiana is is what we're thinking of, and it's it's you know it's a Bunuel film that is explicitly about how individual charity uh, doesn't fix societal problems because the main character inherits this big house and she invites a bunch of homeless people to live in it and then they ruin everything. Right, um, and it's it's an attack on 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 the church more explicitly, whereas this. You know, it's hard to say this is an attack on Christianity because it's an attack on this sort of pop psychology version of Christianity. Right. Yeah, that, it is. That it certainly is, yeah. is popular and inhabits uh, American culture through and through. Absolutely. Um, mm. But uh, but it's less of an overt attack on the church in right. the way that Buñuel was overtly attacking well, the church in, in Viridiana. Well, and um, with Viridiana, we also get that sort of like a, a broader scope view of like look personal charity will not save us it will not right, fix right, the right. problems like the systemic problems can't be fixed by a rich dude just handing out their money <laughs> like it's just not right. like that that is not how you fix problems like um it's a nice stop gap i guess if you're not better than nothing but like you know viridiana deals with all that very sp- explicitly whereas right, right, um right. like uh, this one is more; it cuts it down even tighter into that sort of like, you know, that one's more. Even that movie, Viridiana, is more systemic and wide in its view. 
than this is. This right. is like, this isn't even about how that doesn't help anybody. This is about like, it's also just a, an explicitly selfish act you're engaging in. Right. Like, right. you know what I mean? Like the, the Brunel film is, is more about like wh- how society functions and like how personal charity is not going to fix society. Whereas this is about like, Oh, you're doing, you're doing charity for your own selfish gains. Really? Like, it's right. very, very subtle subtext of this movie in the end, but it is still what right. the movie is is in. If it's saying anything, it is talking about is engaging with the idea that like, oh, like you do charity because it makes you feel better about yourself, but also it will reward you in the end. And if you take that right. and you extend it a little bit further, and like. This movie tries to have this sort of like pseudo karmic cycle of like, you know, Bob gets his super surgery powers from the grace of God, but like, who is not (laughs) named in this film. Uh, But then like, (laughs) whereas like, if you just extend that a little bit further into a, uh, into a modern Christian paradigm in the United States, you get like, well, yeah, maybe you don't get super surgeon powers. Although let's be very clear here. There are plenty of, modern American Christians who believe a literally a sort of tit for tat relationship with God, uh, where (laughs) you're almost having striking a deal with the devil, but the devil is God and like, Oh, he'll pay me back in kind right uh, right now. But, but even if you don't have that, let's say you have the, the slightly take one step back like viewpoint. And so, well, I'm being good now so that I can get rewarded later in, in the later, later in the hereafter, like, that's still right. a fundamentally selfish act to be engaged in. It's like, no, you need to help people because you need to help people, not because you're like, oh, well, I mean, right. the big daddy's going to pay me back later, I tell you. is right. uh, All of it is all of it is still, there's no, the problems with, particularly, I wrote this down in my notes, the, pro, the problems with its presentation in, uh, in the Cirque movie, particularly in the the thirty five version, is not not that different. And maybe this is this is an issue in how the producers of the nineteen thirty five movie decided to eliminate some of the more overt Christianity of the book. But but I think it's it's true to a lot of the ways I see Christianity practiced through the twentieth century too. Um, there's no. There's no informed trauma response here. There's no solidarity response here. It centers the individual uh, without, you know, without even really listening even to the experiences of the people who are being helped. It's, right. it's how much money do you need? Here's the money. Uh, right, right, it right. lets the people, it lets the people committing the act of charity uh, think they're doing the most good without actually self-reflecting. There's no, right. there's no systematic component at all. Uh, it's just, it's not, it's not it. It's not. Like, well, and, and it's not justice, and that's what right. that's what you know. To me, that's what Christianity should be. Right. I I won't say what Christianity is concerned with because I recognize that my. What I believe is Christianity is not how it is practiced, and I can't, right. I can't no true Scotsman, uh, you know, even even if I can pinpoint where I think they went wrong, uh, and and articulate why I think they're wrong, I can't, I can't say, well, I'm a Christian and they're not a Christian because it doesn't, 
it's really just because it does me no good. Right. right. It doesn't help <laughs> in how I interact with people right. and, and people who only know Christianity is this. I can't say, well, that's not true Christianity. It's like, well, it's the only Christianity I know. So what do you got? Right. <laughs> what are you going to uh, do? Yeah. Uh, I mean, and you like, know, and like, right. I get that. And that's why I don't right. generally talk about religion in that way. Right. Um, I mean, but, right. Yeah. I, I know what you're saying. <laughs> this is bad. This is bad. Is right. what I'm saying. This right. is just bad. And well, and what's right. I, again, what I keep coming down to is I would border on saying, like, I it is. T- I, I'm going to make a, a, a an argument that I understand is semantically incorrect. Okay, <laughs> okay. I, I want you to understand that I understand this is true right now, <laughs> before we even get into it. But re- reality being what it is in the Cirque version. I would border on calling what Bob does not even charity. Because yeah. Bob doesn't because I understand that it is because you're like the definition of charity being so very delightfully broad. Right. Um right. but right. Bob doesn't even engage like doesn't give his money to anybody. Okay, if we accept that cafe owner, let's let's cut the cafe owner out because the cafe owner is a is essentially a trial run. It's a test of Right, Test right, of theory. Right, right. Um, At really no other point that does Bob in Cirque's version exhibit any sort of charity. Right. Presumably gives, is still giving away the money, but but all we know that he's giving away is particularly to taking care of Helen. Right. He's and, just paying uh, her bills. He's dumping Joyce, money into right. her bank account to make sure she's solvent. At that point, it 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 is not charity. It is restitution uh right which is valuable and it's in its restitution own right. maybe he should be doing right yeah it's, right it's valuable in its own right it probably does in some way help him psychologically to feel like he is right. paying but back it's also the things he owes to people it is also bad restitution it is non-consenting restitution absolutely because, I, I agree because I, restorative I, justice and and more particularly transformative justice needs to take in you know to Needs to take into account the victims right. and how the victims want to be restored. Well, right, and, I, and would I, want to be restored. Right, and I'm getting, and she keeps telling me she keeps telling him to go away. Right, and, he and just then he forces and himself on secretly her. comes back. Right, it's right. it's all very fucked up. But like, yeah, because yeah. I'm trying to remember. I may be getting my movies crossed between 35 and 54, but I believe in one of the versions when he tries to give her money, she just basically says, "Get your." garbage money out of my face basically like i don't want he definitely money. does it in the circuit he definitely does it in the circ version okay well that's um, i think that's very important because, because they're the circ- in they're in the office right. when it happens in the circ version right right yeah I he think, tries to hand uh, her a check yeah and he's like why wouldn't you want right. this money and like at that point he can't even conceive of it and then rather than understanding why she wouldn't want him to pay her essentially pay her for her father or sorry for right. her husband I, sorry. for her husband for her yeah. husband like he instead of taking that in and internalizing, he just says, "Well, I'll just secretly pay her for her husband," which right. is a really right. fucked up thing. Just on a very deep level, this is all very fucked up. But very much. But like it is, it is at best restitution that she doesn't really want. Um, but it's certainly not charity. Like I don't, and I think we get to the point where Cirque is so specific about never mentioning any other charitable acts, there's no way it's an accident. Right. And then right. what you get into is a conversation about 
Cirque trying to talk about possibly the idea that wealthy charity is nothing more than essentially a a fucked up form of restitution, a failed right. fucked and up what, form of restitution, a, a buying your conscience, right? Like, exactly. And and what what little we do get outside of himself is that that Newsweek article we switched to to announce his return to to prominence is that uh, that. Uh, He's helped build a, a new brain cancer or, or brain surgery wing at a hospital or something, right? Right. <clears throat> Instead of with the 35 version where it's like a, a bunch of free clinics all yeah, over the world. Yeah, it's, it's quite broad. He's, he's built yeah. one one wing of a new hospital. <laughs> Which you're, yeah, get, you're getting into like modern – you're getting into <clears throat> modern like billionaire levels of like that's an irrelevant oh, sum yeah, of money. Oh, yeah, Absolutely. Like you didn't Absolutely. spend any of your wealth on doing this, yeah. Like, right? You are probably still, and, and, you know, extremely rich. To, to his credit, he has certainly put in the work to actually become a good surgeon. Sure, right. Um, but he is he is doing all of this for a particular selfish right. gain, right? Uh, that is also disgusting because it's not just it's a selfish game that is the uh i mean he he doesn't view it as ownership necessarily but it is the consumption of another human being right 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 and and you know if you if there's that and then you throw in the fact that like in both versions there's a there's a deeply fundamentally at the heart of it fucked up like we're in a weird like we're in one of those classic like Ah, where's the YouTube video explaining how fucked up this relationship is sort of scenario where it's like, <laughs> right, it's like right. this woman's husband just died. And in either right. version, this is a hyper inappropriate behavior to yeah. demonstrate here. You've fallen in love with this widow who's, depending on the version, and that's husband actually, has either been dead for a month or like two weeks. Yeah. Another, another interesting aspect in the 35 version is that it's six years in Europe. Right. Whereas in Cirque's version, it's only one year. Yeah. At least there's more time for that to sort of have naturally happened in, in right. a o- more okay way. Not that it couldn't happen in a year, but still. It's a very, um, that, a know, year is both, really tight. Yeah. I mean, because I think Cirque's trying both to hide in, the absurdity of it all, really. But you know. Right. Right. And, and both admit that, you know, she has suspected that it's really him. Right. Right. And of course, we get more. I think of the thirty-five version. Even there's a little bit more overt of of Joyce reacting to him being present. Then mm-hmm. Cirque certainly got that too. But um, so yeah, but but also Cirque's Cirque's Europe sequence is much more interesting than the thirty-five version Europe sequence too. I think like their date right. where Cirque's got. I, what? I mean, there's. because well, I feel like there's obviously Cirque's symbolism a, that I'm missing. Right. Where Cirque's, Cirque's in this small town festival where they're burning oh, a I symbolic the, witch. For I the forgot harvest. about that. I made a memo <laughs> to myself about it and then totally forgot about it. The like the witch burning festival. Well, there's all kinds of things, right? Because like, again, but that's, kind of that's in this, it's. Go ahead. It's sacrifice for a desired effect that actually. Right. Because because his whole you know it's all superstition right and his whole ideology 
uh, is is that same sort of superstition of, right. of sacrifice for karmic balance. Yeah, um, and like an almost immediate return, right? Like, oh, this is so that we have right. a good harvest or something. It's not like right. It's not even really like it's immediate. It's like, oh yeah, like we we get paid back for this. Like, right? Where's where where's my where's <laughs> you owe me now? Whatever you are, uh, right. Yeah, it, it, and yeah, and that with with the other with the other Cirque that we've seen too. What what is really interesting with Cirque is that he is a genius making movies that you don't need to be a genius to make, right? And like, but he's still like doing the work to show you he's a genius, right? Well, yeah, it's exactly. Like, yeah, it's like you need to know that, like, yeah, absolutely. But also, but also within the realm of. Yeah, you know what? If you don't think I'm a genius, you could probably still enjoy this movie. Yeah, it's fine. It's, you know, whatever. You can. This can yeah. be on in the like. I, this was not a thing in his mind when when he made it for sure. But like, this can just be on on AMC at three o'clock in right, the afternoon right. while you're cleaning the house. And yeah, whatever. It's fine. Yeah, uh, it's cool. Yeah. Whatever. Um, well, you know, a thing that I was. Um, uh, another thing, I don't know why I thought about it this way as well. I, the, the witch burning thing is just fucking wild. But like, um, the, the the deviation also goes the other direction in the sense that um, their romantic development in that movie is in the thirty five version is slower. Uh, mm-hmm. He still does bad things. It's all bad, but it is at least slower, which which gives some evidence of personal agency and all kinds of stuff like that. Um, that the the fifty four version lacks a little bit, uh, but it, he takes her on a tour of France or of, of Paris, and there's this sort of like romantic air to it, which sort of heightens the sort of believability that there's this arc towards a romantic relationship there. You know what I mean? Like, I have a I have a question for you. Yes, did you get any feeling? Because I did. Did you get any feeling that he was actively lying to her during the date in Paris? That he's describing this oh, fantastical carnival he's, scene I, that isn't actually okay, happening so at all? Not, not just bit, isn't. It's happening off screen, but it really isn't happening in narrative. Right. right? And I was never. I, my my brain did both at the same time, and I was like, on the one hand, maybe because he has been lying to her the whole time. Fundamentally, right. to the fact that he has been lying to her, there's no reason to believe that he would stop now. At the same time, I was also like, well, also maybe you just didn't want to try to film a but Like, this is clearly a studio lot. And you're like, I don't want to have to try to find a way to show jugglers and fire right, swords. Right, 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 right. So it's, I'm a bit torn. But, like, he picks such an absurd thing to claim is on the street of Paris. Right. Again, I don't know what 1935 Paris is like, but, like. I don't know that on foggy evenings there are just sword swallowers wandering around. I, I'm sure there are crazy things happening in Paris in 35. Um, so maybe. But, like, so it's hard to say yeah. on that one. But there is a certain sort of like classic romance story element to a tour through Paris. Right. And, and there's and, even and, a sort of there's even sort of a classic romance story aspect to him describing these fantastical things. Right. As, it, it does fit into like, sort of a sort of a romantic this, his era loving sort of, imagination, yeah. right? right? 
Like he's building a universe for her that's even more wondrous than the one they actually inhabit <laughs> as a sort of like right. gift right. or something. You can buy into all that. This sort of romantic, no, like, uh, like, sort of romantic notion of like you know, uh, you know, kind of heightening with absurdity and stuff like that. The <laughs> you can contrast that with Cirque's version, which he basically walks her into like the Wicker Man. Uh, it is. The, <laughs> right. It is. It is the and that's the fascinating thing, right? Is no that, like, one, Cirque's version. No one verbally, no one verbally makes it explicit that they aren't burning a real witch. I know. We only find out at the end <laughs> when they show us. When they show. I was like, when I heard that, I was like, what is happening here? What is this movie we're watching? This is the second yeah. time I think we might be in a different movie than I thought we were in. <laughs> right. Um, right. Like first, I thought we were in a sci-fi movie, and now suddenly we're apparently in a in a sort of gothic horror film. Cool. Yeah. Um, no, I mean the thing about that is, is that, and I think to a certain extent, Cirque is playing a game. Especially after watching the interview, I think that Cirque is playing a game, sort of playing chicken with his audience, in that I'm not going to show you anything that is actually romantic. Right. Right, because all the right pieces exist on the game board and all the right results happen, you will view this as a romantic story. But there right. will be nothing romantic. Like, that is not a romantic walk at all. Their conversation is different. It is a less romantic conversation. It is, like, he's not showing her the sights. They, they walk down one fucking road and then run into the Wicker Man. Like... It it's like, and then lots of things like that by shortening all the time frames, and and, right, and right. having all their relationship be more sort of aggressive in the sense that like he's sort of like forcing himself on her kind of all the time, um, and like he doesn't even like it, and there's a certain sort of romance to like I became the greatest brain surgeon on earth, and like and like started hospitals all over Europe just for you. It's not good, good like social policy, but you could certainly call it romantic in its own right, right? right. Like the, the lengths right. I went to to try to help you, even though I couldn't find you, right? There's a certain sort of romance to that notion. The Cirque version doesn't have any of that. It's all utilitarian right. transaction that suddenly just ends in them like being in love, right? And that I it's actually it's I believe that has to be on purpose. Yeah. It's kind of interesting to me thinking about it now that it kind of there are ways in which the arc of their relationship uh is mirrored in uh Chungking Express that we talked about a few weeks okay. ago. Okay. Yeah. Uh right. in that sort of sh- she's got to disappear. Uh, right. And he's got to change. Without her being there, right? Even though, even though she is the background inspiration for that change, right? But he's got to really, she's got to disappear, and he's got to really change before they can actually be happy together. Right. Even though we don't even really see them be happy together, because he shows back up and she's in a coma, and then she saves her, and then the movie, <laughs> movie, and ends. the movie ends. <laughs> yeah, and well, and that's the thing, right? Is that like I don't think, and again, that's what I'm talking about, though, is that like, yeah, I think Cirque may have in his intentions to make a romance movie with no romance. Uh, And that because it all looks right, there are these beautiful people on screen. 
They're they're sometimes saying the things that you expect them to say. It's it's a right. romance movie, but like, you know, Chunking Express has romance in it. It's a very like, sort of like, new it, it like kind of modern kind of new style like it, like. But that ending is a very impactful ending, right? Like, she's back to talk. You know, there's all that. Whereas this, like, she wakes up. It's like, oh, you know, now we're in love. And there's kind of no um, antecedents yeah. to it. And so, right. but it's because, a very like, Hollywood uh, ending. Well, it is a very Hollywood ending, but without any of the Hollywood setup. Right. Basically. Because, like, literally, the part where they should be, like, talking about their relationship and coming together, she's in a coma. And he's right. doing some sort of miracle God work. There's no, right. there's, there's just, it doesn't, it doesn't do the ground, lay the groundwork. I don't think really because they don't hardly like exist together on the same page, like in the same room before she's in a coma. And, and you know what I mean? Like if you think about the progress that they undergo, she goes and gets, there's this tiny, in a certain version, a very short setup of her going to the doctors up until then. Right. His interaction with her is exclusively hidden from her completely. It's still hidden from her in the doctor's part, but like we don't they don't interact very much pr- before that. Right. And then And and Cirque Cirque really ups the subconscious manipulation uh, uh emotional manipulation of that moment. You know, it's not overt action of the people, but the doctors tell her she's inoperable and she's contemplating suicide, right? right? She walks out She's blind, and she walks out onto that dark right. balcony, and then she's only pulled back because she accidentally knocks a flower pot off. And then Robbie shows up, right? Right. And 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 pulls her back from that edge, not literally because she's already back inside. She's already pulled herself back from that particular edge, from the literal edge. But, uh, but it is him showing up because she is in, in emotionally, she's emotionally bottomed out, and he shows up to say, I love you. And, you know, it's not, it's not great. Um, There's a, there's a phrase in O'Brien's essay, uh, and he's particularly talking about the 1935 version, uh, but uh, the religious elements became mere flavoring for a transcendentally morbid love story. Uh, (laughs) I love it. It's a perfect description. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Yeah. (laughs) It's right. And that's really what it is. It's transcendentally morbid. Yeah, it's, it's a love story. It's a perfect description yeah. of this movie. We've been, <laughs> yeah. I've been groping. We've essentially been groping at that phrase <laughs> for like right. an hour the now. Last hour, yeah, yeah. Oh uh, man, it's good. Thanks, O'Brien. Uh, yeah, the, <laughs> very you, kind you, of you to uh, give us that. Yeah, thank you for giving us a, a, an amazing turn of phrase. Yeah, um, Hudson, Cirque, and Wyman would the very next year make uh, uh, all the heavens allow. Uh-huh. Um, so they turned right back around in that. Uh, Hudson and Cirque actually had just made, had just finished working together on a 3D Western. Um, what? Oh, is this yeah. the one you sent me a message about? <laughs> yes. Oh, yes. man. This yes. is, this is, man, this 3D Western's dark territory, man. Like, they what had, you just told me, yeah. what you told me about it is dark. They had just been working on a movie called uh, Taza. 
and it's Rock Hudson plays a, uh, I believe, uh, Navajo chief. Um, uh, it's, it's just, it's very whitewashed, but it's, uh, Taza, son of Cochise, or Cochise? I don't know if they accent that at all. Um, that character is, was in like a, a string of movies, okay. uh, Broken Arrow and the, ba- the Battle of Apache Pass. He was, he was the chief, um, played by Jeff Chandler, um, and then it's, uh, yeah, it's three years after the end of the Apache Wars. Peacemaking chief Cochise dies. His eldest son, Taza, played by Rock Hudson, shares his ideas, but brother Nietzsche, <coughs> Nietzsche, uh, Bert Roberts, yearns for war and for Taza's betrothed, Una, played by Barbara Rush. It's just... It is- you sent me that synopsis, uh, yeah. like the other, like yesterday or whatever, and like the 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 combination of like I can't this ah this movie man I don't wow <laughs> just I can't even there's a lot going on in that yeah um, there's there's so much going on in everything it, and it's all bad one hundred percent bad yeah uh, Rock Hudson's a great actor and he's a very beautiful man he should not be playing an Apache chief right exactly. Uh, uh, none of these people uh, should be playing the characters they're playing. Right, Nor should they right. really be making um, this movie at all, frankly. But <laughs> right, right in three D. Uh, but yeah, it's that's an interesting because you know Cirque is so much a workhouse, and he's like he's movie doctor for a lot of other movies too. Right. Like he's brought in to to secretly edit people, and there are there are certain stars. In the Hollywood system, who who even have, you know, according to the interview, Cirque says there are people who who would uh, demand that he be brought in to direct certain scenes, and right. he always felt bad about it. <laughs> but uh, but also, he just made this Taza 3D. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. It, uh, I mean, I assume whenever you encounter this kind of stuff, you're like, what kind of crazy contract were you under? That like, this is the movie you ended up making because it's got to be something, right? There's no way this is just like, ah, yes, I volunteered for this because I thought this was an extremely worthwhile project. Yeah, uh, Taza ends up in a war with uh, with Geronimo, by the way, through the plot of that movie that I didn't send you. Um, so yeah, it's Geron- Geronimo played by a man named Ian McDonald. Yeah, so <laughs> this is our last Cirque film. Uh, there are none, uh, no others in the collection right now. We only have the three. Huh. Um, so we'll sunset on Cirque for the time being. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, no, it was really interesting to get that uh, that interview with him. Um, yeah, I really, I mean, that was probably long. the. It was very long. <laughs> like, it was that's the one thing about about this week is we ended up watching two feature length movies and an eighty two minute long interview for. Uh, for one podcast episode, it was a lot of material. Yeah. Uh, you know, that's generally one reason why we go back and forth as to whether or not Lost in Criterion uh, deals with bonus features is because sometimes there's just so many bonus features. But but so often that right. we've seen recently, like with the uh, with the Chunking Express stuff, and and I think particularly with the missing stuff fairly recently, is that the bonus features. You know, there's Criterion in this age of Criterion. Uh, 
and this is, you know, this one was released, I think, in January 2009. Uh, Criterion is really upping the ante on its bonus features, I feel like, uh, <laughs> starting around this time. So right. uh, we might have to become more involved with them moving forward. But uh, Or, or, or yeah, we may have to basically abandon them and just like, well, or make we a, thought this make one a rule was interesting. Right. Right, 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 right. Make a rule that we're not we're not explicitly here to talk about the bonus features, but you know we're talking about the Criterion release, so sometimes it's unavoidable. But right. definitely some fascinating stuff in this one, um, and just a, you know it's a fun movie, even if it's you know Cirque's version explicitly strips out the comic relief, but also explicitly leans into the complete absurdities in the narrative arc of this movie. Right, so. Uh, so it's hard to say that he's not making a comedy out of it. Well, yeah, I mean, he's making it's more not of marketed like, as a comedy, right? It's, he's yeah, he's more making a comedy in like I guess more in a classical sense in a in a weird way of like ah uh, like yeah. it ends in not quite a marriage, but <laughs> like you know, just like right. a bunch of shitty things happen, and then suddenly it all works out. Uh, oh man. But yeah, it, it like I I'm the obviously the the documentary is the probably the most valuable part of this right watching right. session in the context it gives and then the context it lends to this movie. Yeah. Combine that with watching the original like it is And of course an because because Cirque's version is a remake of that movie and not just another adaptation right. of the books that both movies are based off of, it's definitely I think it's it's important information to have. Right. I mean, it made our it made it easier for us to understand what was going on too. Like for sure. Right, and, right, right. And the 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 differences between Cirque's version and the nineteen thirty five version, which by the way, I I don't think we've even said yet. The nineteen thirty five version is directed by. Uh, uh, <laughs> goodness, now I just lost it. Uh, directed by John M. Stahl. We I don't think we've named him yet. So right. We, we yeah. might as well give him the credit he needs. So, um, but yeah, uh, the Stahl version is is definitely a different feel to a movie, but it's very you know it's a very normal by the book sort of nineteen thirty five screwballish, uh, yeah, I comedy mean, in a lot of ways. Even it as is. it, which which is even weirdly transcendent in that it is plotted the same. It is plot wise, it's the same melodrama, but it leans into the screwball atmosphere. Uh, right, that right. It's in its own way very weird. <laughs> no, it so. is. And I think, and I would argue that whoever was, Stahl clearly did recognize some of the weirdness of the story he was making, in that, like, there's weird, there are kind of. Throughout even the stall version, the 35 version, there's sort of nods to like, this is, it, the movie kind of winks at the screen sometimes where you're like, oh, you kind of get that this is strange too. Okay. Not, not yeah. as, a, not as intensely as Cirque does, but you know, it's still kind of there. I think we probably pull this one to a close. Uh, we've been talking about, well, principally, we've been talking about uh, Douglas Cirque's 1954 Magnificent Obsession. Um uh, starring Jane Wyman, who was the impetus for the production, and Rock Hudson, uh, based on the Lloyd C. Douglas novel that was also adapted into the 1935 film, uh, directed by John Stahl, uh, that uh, that we also watched. And there's just a lot of interesting bonus features. Oh, uh, you know what? Let's end on this, actually, because there's really not a lot to talk about around it. But uh, 
some of the other bonus features on the disc are an interview with Allison Anders uh, and a separate interview with Catherine Bigelow, both uh, film directors in their own right. Uh, Anders was the director of uh, uh, Border Radio, which we watched uh, right. a couple of years ago. Um, and uh, Catherine Bigelow directed uh, the original Point Break, The Hurt Locker, uh, Zero Dark Thirty. Um, but, uh, but they both give interviews on Cirque's influence on them. Uh, and Bigelow, uh, in her interview, says just a really fascinating thing that Cirque told her uh, in person because he was at one of her uh, film premieres uh, by, uh, by happenstance. Um, one, there is uh, one thing she says that uh, O'Brien also mentions in his essay. The angles are director's thoughts. The lights are his philosophy, uh, which is just a, a interesting little circ thing that I don't really need to explore. Um, but what I really love and what I think we could probably end on, Cirque <laughs> talking to her about adapting books. He says, remember that you must never work from a great, great book. Always a oh, book right. that's a little flawed. Then the film has a chance to be great. If you work with a book that's already magnificent, the film has nowhere to go. And clearly, Douglas Sirk, who, right. who dismissively read a third of this book. Um, Definitely picked a flawed book. Definitely picked a flawed book. Uh, and a flawed movie <laughs> that was already right, based yeah. on that book. Same basic premise, uh, right? Like, oh, if you're going to remake a movie, make a movie that you can that's broken enough you can right. do something with it, right? Right. Right. Uh, next week we will be uh, we'll be watching something that I'm I'm very much anticipating. It's a 1983 movie called El Norte, uh, an independent film directed by Gregory Nava uh, about uh, two uh, teens coming north across the U.S. border from Guatemala. So look forward to talking about that, to seeing that. So thank you so much for listening to Lost in Criterion. I am, as always, the Adam Glass. With me, as always, John Patrick Oetardi, Oregon. And we'll see you next time. been lost in criteria under co-host adam glass you can find me on twitter at the adam glass my partner is john patrick Oitari dorgan and you can find him at j patrick dorgan check out more of the show at lostincriterion.com or hey give us a review on itunes it's nice if you really like what you hear consider supporting us at patreon.com slash lost criterion hey our theme music is by jonathan hape check him out at jonathanhape.com and thanks for listening We appreciate it.